You're listening to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to look at the first seven verses and the, the just the very start of the eighth verse in just a moment. So while you find your place there, I want to remind you of some things from last week. Last week we talked about... Um, debt management and it was not the debt management when we think of when it comes to monetary things even though i think it's still great advice there but we were talking out of romans chapter 13 actually where it says uh, that we are to owe no man anything except to love them and the fact that god has actually imposed a debt upon our lives that we cannot pay ourselves but we pay out of an account that god gives us the, the, the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us, His Word, um, his, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about the fact that we needed to know what debt we actually owed and that the Bible says that if you love someone who loves you, what benefit is it for you? Because even the tax collectors, the sinners, do that same thing. And, but that Christ loved us even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and that we are to love others in the same way, in the sense that you and I are to love people who are not lovable in our eyes, people who, um, that we would deem not fit to be loved or not deserving of our love, and we could go on and on, but we are to, to understand the debt that we owe, that that is what our life is to be from this point forward. And then um, we are to make sure that we settle all accounts at the end of each day. It says in Romans 13 that our, uh, the day is far gone. I mean, the night is at hand, the day is far gone. And that the time is at hand. And that you and I, we do not know when we will take our last breath. So every, I think every hour of every day, we should make sure that our accounts are settled between us and the Lord and other people. We won't have a time when we close our eyes here on this earth and enter into eternity. We'll never be able to go back and settle an account that we should have settled while we were here. And then we're not to write bad checks. Um, he says that we are to put off the things of the flesh and that we are to clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Jesus Christ our Lord. And when you think about that, you think of two ways that you could take the trash out in the house. I can clench my teeth together and go, I'll take the trash out, you know, bless God, and we'll even throw things like that in. But that's a bad check. That's, that's begrudgingly and having feeling like we're forced to do things like that. But when we love somebody, we're not loving them through the ability of us squeezing it out of our fleshly life, but that we are loving them with the overwhelming love of Jesus Christ that flows from a fountain that never runs dry. And that means that you and I have to be purposely prepared to do that. We deny ourselves of ungodly lust and we chase after him. And so we talked about that, that uh, debt management. This week I want to talk to you about some laws of love. I think that we are governed by certain laws in this world that we live in, uh, that you and I, outside of a supernatural event happening in our lives on this earth, we're not going to get past. I remember in physical science that matter cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only be, what, church? Changed in form. It's That's not much stuck in my head from science back in school days, but that did stick. I had forgotten about gravity until, gravity until I started gaining weight, and my knees were reminding me that gravity is real. <clears throat> that if I jump off of a, a building, I might be able to lurch up a little bit, but I am going to come down. 
that is a law. I cannot escape that. <clears throat> Outside of some supernatural event, I cannot escape that. I was joking with Katie. Um, I think I got bit by, possibly by a spider or spiders about three times on my arm last night, messing around in a wellhouse, and um, it felt like two wasps stung me in the same place, but I've never felt anything quite like it. And then it started gaining like fever in that spot. And so, uh, and it, I went to, I took two Benadryl, amazed I woke up this morning, but I took two Benadryl and um, I went to bed at about 1130 and it felt the same when I went to bed as it did when I went to bed, I mean, when I, when it happened. So for close to three hours, it, it was the same. I just told Katie, I said, I said, she's like, well, we better watch it. I was like, I was like, yeah, I said, but now if I start shooting webs, <laughs> we will, we will have gone past the, the natural into the supernatural uh, life. But these laws that God has inscribed in these first seven and a half-ish verses, we won't escape these. As a matter of fact, the only way that these laws are going to be performed is going to be supernatural. So let's look at the text. I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through the very first part of verse 8. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and the understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long, is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up or arrogant, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Some translations will even say take, keeps no record, and I think that's rightly so. Verse 6, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And the very first part of verse 8 says, love never fails. Let's pray. Father, would you take your word today? And if there's ever been a time, God, in our lives, or our uh, recalling through our lives that we need to show this world the love of Jesus Christ, it is today. We have such a great opportunity. If I look around, I don't think it, my, the world has ever been more dark, more it's never been so bleak in my lifetime as it is today. But the light truly does shine the brightest in the dark, darkness. So God, although the world might be headed in a, to, to be, become more and more dark, wax worse and worse, how much more, God, would your glory shine in that darkness? God, we know that we are the light of the world. City set on a hill cannot be hid. We'd never hide our light up under a bushel, but we would let it shine for your glory. God, may today you take your word and convict us, change us, teach us, encourage us to be just that. In Christ's name, amen. Let me share with you some things that I believe are irrefutable out of God's word. 
that you, you can actually do life here on this earth and not love. I think that is something you can take to the bank, that you can live the entirety of your life on this earth, but never actually love. Look at it with, look with me in the text, verse 1. He says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging symbol, just noise. Did you know that you can live in this life and not love, even while being the best communicator on the face of the planet? There are people on any given day in the week, especially Sundays, there are folks that are great orators. It's almost as if the, the words flow off of their tongue like honey from a honeycomb, and some of them, tens of thousands of people will gather just to hear them speak, to be motivated for another day. But the Bible says that you can speak even with the tongues of men and of angels, but if you do not have love, you are nothing more than just noise. So you can live in this life and be the greatest communicator possible. Be someone that people would love to hear you speak, but have not love. Did you know that you can live in this life and not love while being the wisest counselor that's ever been born? Listen to what he says, verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, I am. And I want you to help me out with this, church, because I want to make sure that I read correctly out of the Bible. And I think a lot of times for you to get it in your own life, it helps to repeat this. But he says, I am what? Nothing. He said, though, though I have the gift of prophecy, though I understand all mystery and knowledge, but I have not love, I am nothing. Think about it. How many people do you know, or do you know people that are, seem to be very wise? They can tell you anything out of the history books. They can tell you anything out of the Bible. They can tell you what verse and what page. They can tell you what chapter. They can tell you the context of, of, the, of the Scripture that you're talking about. And they can tell you all these great mysteries, but they wouldn't walk across the street and share the gospel with their neighbor. There are husbands that I know that will study and they know all these great things, but they don't love their wives. There are wives that could tell you a lot of things that most people don't know, but do they love their husbands? And there are parents that have read every book on parenting, but yet they don't love their children. Did you know that you can live on this earth and not love while being the most confident person that there is? Listen to what he says. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, what does the Bible say, church, again? I am nothing. You know, I looked up that word nothing, and you know what it means? It means nothing. That's what it means. God, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, and if we want to get specific, maybe through the scribe's pen that was beside the Apostle Paul, whatever you want to say, but God's hand through the voice of the Apostle Paul says that we're nothing. You know, before I get to the last one in this particular point, I think about something. I think about a lot of times when we go to select people to do things even in church life. Man, that preacher sure can preach a sermon, you know? And, and it seems he's so knowledgeable about Scripture. 
We used to joke around sometimes, uh, especially uh, early on in our pastoral ministries, we would look in, and we call it the comic strip, but I think the truth of the matter is every Monday we typically looked over into the classified section looking for a potential church because we were sick of where we were pastoring at, the, at that time. But we looked on there, and it's comical sometimes what churches would put in there as requirements in the classified ads for a pastor. Must have a master's degree, a minimum of a, of a master's degree from a credible seminary. Must have at least 10 years experience, and they want them to be 25 years old, and it's like, how do you, you know, and it's, they want everything, you know, all these things, and it's like, but rarely do you ever see words like, I, we want somebody that's seeking the heart of God to lead the people in the direction that God wants us to go, that would love the congregation like God loves us, and just, but think about it. And we'll easily follow after people who seem to excel, won't we? The Bible says if we're not careful, we can go through this life thinking that we have everything under control and never actually love. Listen to the last one. This is a kind of a big one. You can actually live in this life and not love while being the most charitable person on the planet. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Isn't that amazing? I chose this morning not to use a lot of proof text because this, there's so much in this text that it just explains itself so well. Here's something else that you can take to the bank, that you cannot do harm and love at the same time. Romans 13 actually taught us that love does no harm. And if you will, will be obedient to verses 13 and 14 out of Romans 13, listen to what he says, Let us walk properly as in the day, not in reverie, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife and envy, but to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That you and I uh, can do no harm in love because love sets no timeline. Listen to what he says in verse 4. Love suffers long in its kind. Love suffers long in its kind. How many of y'all have ever heard somebody, or maybe you, you're the person that said it, you know? Well, if my husband does not straighten up in the next six months, that's it. I'm done. You know, and I've mentioned before on Wednesday nights, our, um, you know, for our... our um, talking marriage with Greg and Christy, and I just put this plug out there, especially uh, online and here. We're going to put a phone call out and let folks know. It has been amazing. For three weeks, we have struggled so hard with sound, and it is not normal for us. We do not have those problems. We, we purposely pride ourselves in not having those problems. One week, the recording sounded horrible. It sounded okay up here. The next week, it sounded horrible in both places. And then this week, it sounded horrible up here, but the recording was better. And it's like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? And we, we've been pulled every trick out of our hat, you know, and it's like, but I'm not, I shouldn't say it this way. Try us again this Wednesday. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to make it. We're going to persevere through this. But, you know, I, I, I remember us talking about the fact that the North Carolina has a year before you can actually get divorced for a reason. 
It is so that both sides have an opportunity to back up and calm down and, and, and think about those things. What if we didn't need the state to tell us that? What if before we ever got to that, and, and I understand that you cannot make other people do, and you come Wednesday nights, we'll talk more about that. I understand that you can't make somebody love, you can't make somebody do certain things. I get that, but what about you? I would just say this, <clears throat> that God knows where you are. God's grace is there for you where you are. There are always circumstances that we go through and the repercussions from the choices that we made, but I can say this at this moment, and I'd ask you to please hear me because the day and time that we live in, I mean, we, we desperately need to hear this. If you are fixing to sever a relationship with anybody, whether it be a husband, whether it be a spouse, of husband, wife, whether it be a child, whether it be a friend, whether it be a coworker, whoever it may be, if you're fixing to sever a relationship, stop. Stop for just a moment. It's in those times that we rarely want to hear God's word. Because we want to do what we want to do. We don't care what God says. And if we say we care, we would rather... It's like, if I can just dull my senses to, to God and what He's saying, I'll be able to do it. And then I'll just pick His grace up and get some forgiveness and go on down the road. But that is... That's not how a Christian lives. That is not how a child of God lives. You say, I've been offended. Guess what? The Bible promises you will be. <laughs> He said, is it, as a matter of fact, he said, is it, it is impossible that no offense should come. I believe that's Luke chapter 17, or 7, one or two. My, my, my dyslexia is 7, anyhow, yes, 7. There we go. Anyhow, that, that no offense should come. It's impossible. But woe to him through who the offense comes. He'd be better off to have a millstone tied around his neck. So ladies, wives, you say, my husband's offended me. And God says, hey, great, he, he's in trouble. Matter of fact, he'd better, be better off if he had a millstone tied around his neck and thrown in the river. And you go, oh, yeah, amen, God, go for it. But then we kind of get off track again. That's not what God, God says, vengeance is mine, right? <laughs> but see, love does no harm. Love is not a bouquet of roses. How many flower arrangements do you think have been given with an agenda? Let, let me take you with it. Love has no timeline, but love has no agenda. Verse 4 and 5, love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up or arrogant. Love does not behave rudely does not seek its own, is not provoked, and it thinks no evil. And as I said, some translations to render it keeps no record, and I think that's a great way to look at that text. But think about it. I think Valentine's Day, for a lot of situations, maybe not all, but for a lot of situations, is a calendared reminder to dig yourself out of the hole that you've been in for the last 11 months. 
I've had like that in my life. Have you ever been that way? As a matter of fact, don't, don't you know the feeling when you're there and you find out that you've waited even too late and there's really not a whole lot left? No florist has any more appointments that they can fill. I mean, it's just, I've waited so long. What provoked that? Is it actually a heart of genuine love or is it just being provoked that you forgot about them all this time? The Bible says that love is not provoked. Love is not self-seeking. I don't know how many plaques hang in churches of people that if you were to touch that plaque, you would be better off to try to touch the Ark of the Covenant if it was possible with your own bare hands than to touch that plaque because that's how they got them to actually give the money was if you'll give the money, we'll, we'll, we'll put your name on the wall. When God says that he doesn't want that kind of giver, he wants a cheerful giver that gives out of a heart that is free and pure, expecting nothing, no preconceived notions, no, no agendas. How, how, many, how many, let's go back to the flowers for a moment, guys. I want to just plug us. I'm just throwing some things out there that we talk about on Wednesday nights right now. But, but how many flower arrangements were given because you wanted something in return for it? And I'm not going any further than PG. Can y'all following me? How many? How many times have you or I done something for our spouses? Or ladies, you too, because y'all are just as guilty at times to take what you have and to dangle it in order to get your way. That's an agenda, is it not? And if that's an agenda, the Bible says that that's not love and it can't, you can't, tell whether it's going to do harm or not most likely it will because the only way you can do no harm is to have no agenda but he promises that if you if you will not have an agenda if you'll not have a timeline if, and then if you'll only rejoice in the truth that you can't you can't fail we'll get to that one in a minute but Love only rejoices in the truth. Verse 6 says, Love does not rejoice in iniquity or in the wrong. It rejoices in the right or the truth. That means that I think even getting to the point where we are quick to slay somebody when they fall or fail, or say something wrong. that We're quick to jump, aren't we? But we're not as quick to jump when people are, are need to be uplifted to where they've done something that glorifies God. They've, they've accomplished something, and they've done good. It's like, you know, love is the rejoices with those that rejoice, weeps with those that weep. You know, I, I've uh, I want to got a, a illustration I want to share before I get too far away from the agenda. I, I I know a person, have known that person all my life, all their life. I've known them, and that person had a goal 
to by certain age that they would have over a million dollars, and this is at a young age, that that person would have a million dollars in the bank, clear and free. And I heard about that goal kind of regularly. And then I seen God save that person. And I've watched God, and, 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 and there's nobody around here, I've watched God progressively change this person to the point now to where this person is actually progressing along rather fast monetarily. But I haven't heard anything in years now about that goal. But I do hear this. I get a text message just this week. I have the privilege to sow this much money, this many thousands of dollars into the kingdom of God because of a deal that I made on, a, on something. And I believe, have told me that I believe that God has gifted me to do this particular thing so that this is what I can contribute to the kingdom of God. And going into the, the purchase of the things with the idea that if I can get this much out of it and pay this much for it, that I will be able to give this much to the kingdom of God. And I've watched God miraculously do things. He was going to buy a piece of property. <laughs> and the guy never got back with him about, I'm, I'm sorry, he was going to sell a piece of property that he had bought specifically to sell it to another guy that promised he was going to buy it, but he needed about a couple of months. Well, about eight months go by, and he ain't heard nothing from him. He had somebody that he was going to sell it to once the other, let's see, wait a minute, he was, I'm sorry, let me back up, I've got your story wrong. This person I know was going to buy this piece of property if this person made these particular improvements to it. Then he had a, a buyer for it. So he's going to buy it from this one, and the next day sell it to the other one. For eight months, he hears nothing from him, so he goes on and takes his money and invests it somewhere else. Well, the guy shows up eight months later, he's done the improvements, and now he's like, I've got the property to buy. So he calls me up and he says, I don't know what to do. If I buy that piece of property, it's going to pinch me down with my free cash. He said, but I told him I'd buy it, and I didn't give him a timeline. He said, so I feel like, and this was my, I said, God lives in you, and you know what right is, and you know what wrong is. You can never do wrong doing right. So he stretches his capital, buys the piece of property, Eight months has gone by. The guy that was going to buy it from him, he, he, he told him, he's like, you know, hey, I'm sorry. The next day after he buys that piece of property from that guy, the guy that was going to buy it from him calls him up. And he calls me the next day and he says, you'll never believe this. He said, the guy that was going to buy it from me called me up and asked me, was it ready for sale? Because he's still wanting to buy it. And so within 24 hours, he was able to do what he was going to do anyhow. And I get to rejoice with him. I go, I said, man, you can't go wrong doing what's right. And I'm not sitting here telling that you're going to get rich if you do what's right. That's not what I'm, what I'm telling you. There's different versions of rich. 
There are people who do not have any monetary value to their name, but they are rich beyond belief. I just wish the dude would move and join our church. <laughs> but no, I'm sorry. I was just kidding. Um, <laughs> no agendas. No rejoicing in wrong stuff. Only rejoicing in the truth. And truth's hard sometimes. Can I get a witness? Truth is hard sometimes. It's hard when you lay the law down with your children. But in love, you do it. And see, the verse we, we often go to, because the love we're talking about is the same love that Christ shared on the cross. It's, it's that, uh, that uh, benevolent-type love that Jesus shared, shed on the cross for us there. Uh, for God so loved the world, John three sixteen that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not what, church? Should not perish, but have eternal life. But see, we rarely look at it like that. God so loved. Same word that we have here. Same, I mean, there are a lot of different words in the Greek for love, but this is agape. This is the one that's uh, the same love that God shed. When, God worked out in, uh, in Christ when he sent his own son to die on the cross. It's the same word, but you understand, he says, if they believe in me, they will not perish. So it's not that love doesn't have conditions, but Christ, well, as a matter of fact, it's often been said, and it's scripturally true, that if you reject God and go off into eternity, that you have basically trampled over the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because His love is there. His love is extended to us. And think about how He loves us, right? We sin. His love is not... It's not His love is not conditional as to whether or not we're faithful to Him. We're loving Him. His love is unconditional. It's just there. It loves me when I'm a knucklehead. It loves me when I've... I win for him. He loves me. I have consequences to my actions when I'm disobedient, but that's love too. Our world is so filled with a life that doesn't have to pay consequences that nobody knows what love is anymore. When you try to run a children's ministry in church, and I just put a plug in there for them, we often get some of the same things that they get at school. Somebody that's teaching them says that your child did something, and it's like, my child did not do that. It's as if when they leave your house, they become this perfect little saint. You do realize that if they'll do it in front of you, they'll do worse in front of others. Can I get a witness? <laughs> And we love them consistently. And it is that consistent love, even when it has to be, there has to be some truth to go along with it that somebody doesn't like. The consistency in that, it is love itself. 
But just remember this, love never gives up. As a matter of fact, love believes the best. I believe that the Scripture teaches us that love believes the best. Verse 7, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I have to tell you another anonymous story to get my point across, but I, 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 have, to, I have to tell it this way. I had some people that offended me for, my, for about the first five years of ministry here. I won't tell you through what means they did it, but they would constantly ridicule me publicly. And I, I, I had a bitterness and resentment that started growing in me, so much so that I would not go around those people. And for nearly six years, I wouldn't go around them. And then God began to work on my heart. And, and in my mind, I'm sitting here going, I did not do anything to them. I didn't do anything to them. And then God arrested my heart and said, yeah, you have. You have offended them, or at least you've offended me. Because you're not loving them. I let that resentment, that bitterness grow in me. And so, about a year and a half ago, I started to go to where they hang out. On a regular basis. At first, very little communication. And then, things started changing. Until just this week, I received a gift from them for Pastor Appreciation Month. <laughs> I went out to my truck and I just, just cried because I did not want to love them. I did not. And I know you, you're just like me. If people do you wrong, I'll show them. And it hurts. Nobody wants to be hated. Nobody wants to be disliked. Nobody wants ugly things said about them. And you know, and, and it's like, but God says, listen, verse 8, love never fails. You can take it to the bank that love never fails. I looked up that word fail. It's amazing to me. It's kind of comical to me as a pastor. I've heard so many people say, well, I've just fallen out of love with them. Come on, can I get a, anybody? Not that you have. I'm just saying, have you heard it? We'll incriminate other people instead of incriminating you. So let me rephrase this. Have you ever heard anybody say anything like, I've just fallen out of love with him? So everybody in favor of that, can I get an uplifted hand? Okay. Sorry, I didn't phrase that right. You've never done anything like that. I just don't love them anymore. Heard that before? I just don't love them anymore. That word fail means to fall down from, to descend, to fall out of. Love never falls down from. Love never falls out of. 
it can't fail. You say, but I love somebody and they left me. That does not mean that love failed. There are people that walk away from Jesus Christ every day. He took 12 under his wing and one of them betrayed him. But did he fail? Mm -mm. You see, we, we look for accolades in all the wrong places, don't we? I need to be right before God, and God will never fail. As a matter of fact, Paul, and this is kind of coming in from the backside, but in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul's talking about the gifts that are given to the church. In chapter 14, he's trying to tell them how to use the gifts properly from the church. In chapter 12, right in the middle, he, he goes, it doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how eloquent you are. It doesn't matter what voice you speak in. It doesn't matter that you give all your goods. And he said all, not 10%. This dude, he said, it doesn't matter if you give all of your goods to feed the poor. It doesn't matter if you're burned at the stake for Christ's sake, for truth's sake. If you have not love, you are nothing. It's almost as if he's telling the church, you can perform all the things you want to perform, but if you don't love each other, Because the Bible teaches us that God is love, and if we are His children, we emulate Him, then what? We must also be, be love. Romans 13, 8, that we had last week, Owe no one anything except to love one, uh, one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And God is, His law is perfect even to the converting of souls. And that's, I believe that if anything else, if you and I should believe in anything, is that God is not strapped. God can change people. That, that God can, can prevail. That God can overcome. That, that, that God's capable of uh, resurrecting life out of death. Have you ever seen God do that? I watched it happen in my own life. I know that God can take death and bring life. He can do it. See, but what we have to do in our own lives is we have to settle in our hearts that this world is not about our agendas. That we are going to submit to this. And we submit to God's Word that what God's Word says is true. And that we'll believe that this Word can do exactly what it says it can do. I don't know why, but God put this... Uh, I had a, some verses to a song, and I thought that's... I had it written down on this little thing right here. And... Uh, I want to try to get a, 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 a poem that I have not rehearsed in a long time, but I want to try to get it out as best I can. It's called The Old Violin. It says, "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. 
He said, what am I bid, good people? What am I bid for thee? One dollar, one dollar, then two, two dollars. We'll make it three. But no, from way far back in the room come an old gray-haired man. And he picked up the violin and dusted it off and tightened the loose strings. And with the bow, he played a melody so pure and sweet, pure as the caroling angels sing. And the auctioneer once again said, What am I bid, good people? What am I bid for thee? One thousand, one thousand, then two, two thousand, who'll make it three? Three thousand going once, three thousand twice. And sold, said he. And someone from the crowd said, What changed its worth? And a voice from the room said it was the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, battered and scarred with sin, are auctioned cheap on a thought by the auction cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A glass of wine, a bowl of soup, a game, and he travels on. He's going once. He's going twice. He's going and he's almost gone. But then the master comes and the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul and the cost of a life, much like the old violin. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for just a moment. As you stand, I want to just ask you this simply. Aren't you glad for the love of the master. Aren't you glad that, the, that God saw fit to invest love into your life knowing what the outcome could be and yet he asked us to do the same in the lives of the people around us? I don't know about you, but I, I'm excited to see what God can do. I really am. I'm excited to see what God can do if we'll just, I don't want to say get out of the way, if we will yield ourselves to be instruments in the hands of the master. There are hurting people out there. He's a great physician. Amen. There are people out there that they don't know which direction to go. He's a great high priest. There are people out there that have never known what it's like to have a friend, and he says that he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And you can help them know him. You can show them who, who he is. So I would encourage you, maybe today you could think in your mind of somebody that you have been estranged to. You've, you've, you've Maybe set up some roadblocks there. You've protected yourself because you know how we are. We've got to protect our investment, right? Get me once, shame on me. Get me twice, shame on you. And that's our mentality of how we live life. But that's not what God intends for us to do. That we believe that God is a defender of the weak. And when we are weak, he's made strong. And that that's what God wants us to do in our lives. So maybe you just need to, don't text. Don't send it on messenger. And I don't know if you can do it, but don't tweet TikTok and whatever else we do. I don't, but don't, don't, 
dear Lord, don't send it on TikTok. But don't call them, at least. Maybe you need to get in the car and go actually see them face to face. And just tell them. Because if you, here's the thing, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong, because if you have harbored bitterness, you are wrong. You are at least wrong before God. So maybe you need to straighten some things up. Maybe you need to just apologize to your children today, your spouse. Maybe you need to hope again, believe again. I just don't love no more. You, you, maybe you never loved to begin with. Maybe you're just infatuated. Love cost. And Christ paid the price for us to do the same. So if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior today, I encourage you to, today, please come to him. Simply that you would confess, repent before him that you're a sinner. Believe in the works of Jesus Christ, his finished works on the cross, his resurrection. And follow him as the Lord of your life, as a disciple. The Bible says you'll be transformed. And if that's where you're at today, and that's what, where you're at the place you're at, please do not leave this place. If you need me to help you with that, I will gladly do everything that I can. But I can't save you, and I can't pray for you. But I will gladly help you walk through those things. So please don't leave here. I'll stay until the last person's gone. If you need somebody to pray with you, Myself and others in here will gladly pray with you. It's a lot to take in sometimes, that, you know. But I believe this, that if we will just, even in this little community, this congregation, we will start loving people like Jesus loves us, this world will know it. They'll know it. Thank you for listening. You can reach us at life at crc.com.